You're listening to the Forest School podcast with Lewis Ames and Gemma Sutherden. Hey, strap Hello. in. Jesus, <laughs> so pumped. You've got. I'm so... I thought you had coffee, but you haven't got coffee. No, but I have just eaten three bourbon biscuits back to back, like into my mouth. If you were in any doubt about how hardcore we are, bourbons. Bourbons. Yeah. Set us off. Um, and a cup of rooibos. And a cup of rooibos. Yeah. It's a lovely Devon day. The birds are singing. Yeah. <laughs> bit, bit chill chills. Yes, but bit not cold. as windy as it has been. We had a bit of wind this week. No, this is true. Oh, a crow. A dead crow? Not a dead crow. I've got a dead crow in my boot. Of course you have. <laughs> I actually have. <laughs> um, which I picked up this morning because my crow problem has come back. People know about your crow problem. I mean, have you been to see a doctor? <laughs> Some people know about the crow. crow problem. Is to cut a long story short, crows tapping on my upstairs windows. Crows ritually worshiping your house. Yeah, and waking me up. So I open my eyes to a noise, and there's a crow just staring at me through the window, going like that on the window. And someone told me that if you hang a dead crow in the window, then they go, "Oh no, they kill crows," and they go away. So I passed a dead crow in the road today. So I reversed. For quite a long time as well. I saw the crow, drove past it. Da, 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 listen to the radio. You think, were you thinking cluck, the whole cluck, time? Cluck. Should I pick up the crow? I should have. Oh, I'm never going to get this chance again. Fate has landed this dead crow in my lap. I'm going to take it. So I reversed, picked up the dead crow in a bag, and it's there. I'm going to try it and let you know. <laughs> On next right. week's episode of Wem's Crow Problem. Crow Chat. Crow Chat. Crow Chat. Yeah. <clears throat> cool. So, straight into it. Let's do it. Because. This book has already thrown up so many questions in my head. Uh, you read it first. Yeah. And you read it. I'm going to say you read it properly. Mm-hmm. And then I, you put loads of post-its on it. And you went like, read this bit. Maybe leave out this chapter. Don't worry about it. So that was like incredibly helpful. I have read it at a surface level, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but not uh, in any great depth. So this might be me asking you lots of questions. You're going, yeah, that's in the book. That's fine. But, yeah. So I might also go, I don't remember that bit. The book is The Play Cycle, Theory, Research and Application by Pete King and Gordon Sturrock. Yes. There we go. Yes. So play cycles are your jam, aren't they? They are. Play ludicology. Ludicology. Play play stuff. Um, So a bit of a background to the book. If you don't know about the play cycle, it was a thing... You can't say invented because if it, if you say it exists, then it's not invented by anybody. But a term coined by Perry mm. Else and Gordon Sturrock. So Perry Else, uh, they're both passed away now, but um, obviously Perry Else died and then Gordon Sturrock was alive to write this bit of this book with Pete King. And we saw Pete King talking at uh, the Play Forum in Somerset a couple of years we ago did. now. So he was, I think he'd just finished the research for this book when we saw him speak. Mm-hmm. And so for a couple of years I was like, oh, okay, I must buy this book. And then it was like, a million pounds you were uh, like fangirling I was, hard i know when, when I we know. saw him and it was i'm over that now it's fine i think we talked i think we talked about it when we talked about the the i think we've talked about this before on the podcast mm. but um there's a room of people and it's it was the play forum so lots of people who work in nurseries lots of people with like i would say a surface level interest in play yeah, in well, setting up mud kitchens and thing doing is like they're thing. play workers but because a play work qualification is so hard to come by these days yeah. they don't necessarily have the sort of deep yeah but there were like three or four bits of like 
Pete King standing at the front and being like, has anybody heard of the California paper? And then like one hand next to me, fucking Hermione Granger shooting her hand up. <laughs> I have, Professor! I have! Every time. And then and then it became a slight joke because when he was talking then about things that will come on to later, like the Metaludes and the whatever else, and he just kept turning back to you and being like, of course, and you know. I do! I do, Professor! Oh well. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. I'm not mock- I'm not mocking you for you can mock being me. interested. No. It, it's like you can it's amazing to nervous. see someone uh, <laughs> passionate about any little niche. I think it doesn't matter what the niche is. Yeah, yeah. Someone's really passionate about it. I will listen to someone talk That's about like interest. you know oyster diving in like the Maldives or something if they're or like Mario Kart. Or Mario Kart. There yeah. we go. Yeah. I will listen to someone whose special interest is Mario Kart yeah, quite a for a long time. Um, so, yeah, so Gordon Sturrock and Perry Ellis came up with the idea of the play, play cycle in a paper called the Colorado Paper in 1998. And um, it has since become a kind of established part of play work. But this book is kind of written by Pete King because there has been no empirical study of its kind of use or understanding. So Pete King wanted to, um, part of the book is about assessing current play workers' understanding of the play cycle. And he kind of Mm -hmm. did a bit of an audit of books and playwork qualifications to see how is the play cycle presented. And for example, part of the play cycle is the Metalude. And was that defined in the same way across textbooks? And it wasn't. And so he was like, well, this has kind of got a bit maybe diluted kind of trying to or, unifying a field yeah or like to find out like you know this is since 1998 no one's really kind of taken it forward since then it's okay. sort of become quite diluted so part of the book is is sort of examining that and then also Gordon Sturrock has a chapter in the book where he reflects on um, sort of developing the play cycle and mm-hmm. then where playwork has gone since and the future of playwork which I found like super interesting um, there's a woodpecker being really Bolshy. Mm. Don't know if that comes across in the recording. Um, and the book is kind of talking a lot about like the current state of play work and its future. And there's a bit there's a quote from Bob Hughes <clears throat> in it saying that in in the seventies there was a, a sort of shift from being a play leader to a play worker and a kind of turn to scientific literature to underpin practice. There's a bit of an argument for research based practice in the book and saying it's if you're going to be a good play worker it's not really enough to just like rock up and like play with kids and yeah. design some cool play equipment it's all about actually having some sort of knowledge to underpin that yeah and that that has kind of been lost a bit right. or hasn't continued in the way that maybe perry else and gordon Sturrock hoped that it would okay yeah so where should we start after that kind of well like... there was uh, a good definition of so obviously lots of this relates to play working uh and I picked up on. I think it's one we've talked about playworking before, but this might be the first episode somebody listens to. So the eight playworker principles mm-hmm. are as follows: one, all children and young people need to play. The impulse to play is innate. Play is biological, psychological, and a social necessity, and is fundamental to the healthy development and well-being of individuals and communities. We've talked about this before. Yeah, we did Links a whole episode, ep- episode. Oppos- hot, an episode. A whole episode on the playwork <laughs> principles um, versus the forest school. Well, not versus. It was well, kind of comparing presented and contrasting. Together, yeah. Okay, so number two, play is a process that is freely chosen. Freely chosen is important. Uh, p- 
personally directed and intrinsically motivated, that is, children and young people determine and control the content and intent of their play by following their own instincts, ideas and interests in their own way and for their own reasons. Number three, the prime focus and essence of playwork is to support and facilitate the play process and this should inform the development of play policy, strategy, training and education. Number four, for play workers, the play process takes precedent and play workers act as advocates for play when engaging with adult-led agendas. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Again, very important. Uh, number five, the role of the play worker is to support all children and young people in the creation of a space in which they can play. And number six, the play worker's response to children and young people playing is based on a sound, up-to-date knowledge of the play process and reflective practice. Mm -hmm. Number seven, play workers recognise their own impact on the the play space and also the impact of children and young people's play on the play worker so two-way yes. street and number eight play workers choose an intervention style that enables children and young people to extend their play all play worker intervention must balance risk with the developmental benefit and well-being of children mm. so that's a brief if nobody's come across play working yeah uh as we've said before kind of some of them are on the same lines as for a school some of them are extensions some of them are yeah, see, maybe I, things that are unwritten and it depends on your personal for a school ethos and style Absolutely. doesn't it so yeah. for me that is like that is a list of our job for me mm -hmm. and i think probably our practice um aligns with all of those play i can't think of a single can you think of a playwork principle there that we go oh yeah no that's not so important for us i mean only in the specifics of uh sound up-to-date knowledge on the play process mm -hmm. and i would say well, that's why we're doing this man that's why we're doing this mm. but to be a forest school leader you don't necessarily have to have oh, a deep okay. understanding of play yeah you might you should all right <laughs> <laughs> but, get ready for like an hour of no, me no, going no, okay but, okay depending <laughs> on what um board you uh accrediting body you train with so for we're, forest school for forest school yes. we're most familiar with ocn and uh ascentis we did ours with mm -hmm. that was ages ago um and you know play is in there in your mm -hmm. coursework you have to write about some stuff about play um and what is that there's so many animals it's a wood it's a woodpecker he's knocking about i think he's trying to build up the courage to come down to this bird feeder it's very distracting if you could please yeah. kindly stop oh yeah he just played peepo around the tree oh hello probably after some yeah i can see him. um yeah so you know if you have done your training then it would be part of your training part of your coursework um mm. to really think hard about this stuff. i think it's the thing that like when you for most people they start and because tools and knots and like yeah. the bushcraft side of forest school yeah is new and scary to lots of people that's where your attention goes yeah and then maybe the longer you do it the more I people move into like that's true this is an ethos oh right I it's actually more about this I and i think that's true and in your own practice all of the kind of practical logistical physical things take precedence yeah. don't they like oh yeah. my god i've never been out in the woods yeah, you in found the a, bird feeder in a crazy um well done oh, mate. Yeah, wow beautiful um very colorful Sorry, yes. Yeah, you know, you've never been in the woods in a, on a windy, horrible day with yeah. a group of kids yeah. and they want Immediate to do needs, acting yeah. right now. Um, and then when you've done a lot of that stuff, then you start really, like, observing the play. And then mm. you can't, you know, in my view, you can't help but be fascinated in 
the play cycles that are happening. Yeah. So I'll give like a really brief overview of the play cycle. So it starts with the play cue, which is a sign from the child to the universe or vice versa that the child is ready to play. Well, it actually doesn't start with the play cue. It starts with the metalude or the pre-cue, which is the kind of uh, slightly kind of daydreamy state um, that's happening in the inner world of the child before a play cue happens mm-hmm. and then the play cue could be something from the ch- from the inner world of the child to the outside world like picking up a pine cone and throwing it or it could be something from the universe to the child like a leaf falling down from a tree and yeah. landing on their yeah. shoulder yeah. Um, and then a play the play return is then either the universe or another another creature mm-hmm. another human whatever returning the play cue um, so that then play continues so yeah. an example of that would be, I don't know, yeah. You run it, you've got a stick and you jump in front of someone and you go, aha, yeah. that's the play cue. Yeah. The return is that person either then going, huh, and walking away. That's that the, would not be a play. That'd be annihilation, Yeah. right? That's yeah. the right word. Yeah. Uh, but the return would be if you then went, oh, aha, yeah. and picked up your own stick. That's exactly. the return. And then, so if that continues, then loop and flow is the next stage where play cue, play return, play cue, like a game of tennis, keeps yeah. on going, keeps on going. And then that can end either in annihilation where it's like it fizzles out or something happens from the universe that means that it's the, the sort of loop and flow is, is ended. Um, or it could be adulterated. So mm-hmm. that is like usually an adult coming in and going, yeah. it's time for tea, you've got to stop. Or um, oh, I'm there joining was a really, in. There was a really good definition. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to try and do it from memory because mm-hmm. I can't find the page. Um, and it was like, Adulteration is either um, uh, domination, uh, attempting to teach or educate, or, and I thought this was interesting, um, uh, forcing their own unplayed material. Oh, yeah. So, like, going, like, this is interesting to me. Hey, I'm going to be the... the And, like, that's something you have to kind of catch yourself doing when you go, like, hey, the kids are into pirates, and if you slip into that, like, I'm also a pirate, then the kids fizzle out, and you kind of go... I'm bigger than you. You're actually going to carry on playing pirates with me because I'm going to keep running up. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. very interesting. It's really interesting, and um, that kind of reminds me of um, a bit in the book where Stark is talking about uh, the stance of the Colorado paper and like why they wrote it and what minds that they were in when they wrote yeah. it. Um, and he says we wanted to reposition and deprivilege the adult-centered authority of the therapist mm. and refocus and highlight the self-healing potentials of children's playing. Um, so he also said, if psychotherapy is an archaeology of insisted neurosis situated in childhood trauma take a moment to unpick that if Jeez. psychotherapy is an archaeology of insisted neurosis situated in childhood trauma right. then play workers are engaging in neurosis as it's being formed and played out you get it? So yes. you go in therapy as an adult and it's all like, oh, childhood trauma, let's unpick this. It's become insisted. It's like, you know, really yeah, yeah. ingrained in you. Um, then play workers are actually working therapeutically mm. with children as they may be experiencing the childhood trauma in other aspects of their yeah, life. Yeah. Whatever. Hopefully not the tra- experiencing the trauma in mm. the play space. But then maybe they are through... Yeah, yeah. Stuff not playing, ra- cues not being returned, yeah, through yeah. social so, things that happen. Exactly, you exactly. Know, you can't control it and go, everything is perfect Exactly. when children meet. Yeah. That's just not possible. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, so they were they were noticing that with a kind of, they say, um, that when the Colorado paper was written, um, 
there was a move to get mothers back into the workforce, which led to a rise in paid for childcare and more early years education. Right. So more formalised early years stuff rather okay. than you're just at home playing with your parents and very yes. much in these times mum. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they noticed this, which is obviously encroaching then on children's free play, yes. they believed. So that's why they kind of wanted to like forefront the importance of children's play and go, look, this is seriously important, not just for kind of development and learning mm. that we might get in early, like typical early yeah, years yeah, education. Yeah. You might go, yeah. Oh, yeah, they're learning through play. But they're going, this is like important therapeutically. This is kind of preventing yeah. the need for serious... Like, From a like humanist point of view of like yeah. being a member of society, being a functioning human, yeah. this is important stuff. Yeah. Not because it progresses them in literacy or maths or exactly anything like that it's yeah. just about like yeah having a solid mental state having a solid yeah. you know and you can see that if you kind of go if you ride with that belief that play workers are really flipping important for that reason like you mm. are working therapeutically with children in their own space um while they are yeah while they are children you're preventing the need for therapy and preventing mental health issues further down the line mm. then you know if you go with that you can see how really bloody important it is and it's a diff- it is a different job to being an early years educator in the current yeah. climate unfortunately i believe yeah. um you know so you can see why back in the day play work was like right we are gonna yeah, yeah, have yeah. loads of funding and we're gonna do this it's gonna be amazing and then it all just went fizzled out um but it kind of links to the stuff that we were talking about in dewey um about uh focusing on like future outcomes versus like in the moment outcomes Mm -hmm. in the sense that like it's easier to go like oh play working needs to sort of be phased out because if they struggle through but they do literacy at age four then they'll be better at their GCSEs at 60 rather than going like okay they're four so what do they need to be a functioning healthy Mm. four-year-old socially emotionally you know spiritually all those things yeah Um, yeah yeah and in the book, Sturrock, um, in his chapter, talks about um, sort of how playwork could survive. And he's talking about, um, well, it's, it's kind of, first of all, he's talking about like why it's important that you might not necessarily think about. So he has this argument that play is political. And we have done a podcast on this as mm-hmm. well, haven't we? Democratic yeah. play. But um, he's basically saying that, oh, what's the amazing quote? Da, 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 da. Okay, yeah. Um, the creation of playing governed by rules and their disputation, the challenges of governance between the children and attendant play workers are the first glimmerings of grammars of power. So it's talking about the politics of it. And it's just what we talk about in that democratic play thing. Yeah. So if you know, you're making up rules, you're negotiating, you're going, oh, okay, well, yeah, we're playing this chasing game, but so-and-so is only four, so, or they, you know, they mm. can't run as fast. So we're going to adapt things to, you know, all of yeah, those yeah. kind of things that are just happening all the time. You're Sorry. Like, uh, it, it is a bird festival. Th- there's an absolute Disney film going on behind you. There's a squirrel running around in the mud kitchen. There are two crows sat just above the mud kitchen. There's a woodpecker flying around. There's cold tits and blue tits everywhere. This I'm half just... expecting you to just go like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> and, and them all descend upon you. Oh. Apologise, I've interrupted your. That's fine. Your. Um, it struck one of the things that you said when you were reading the book before you. Mm. You got one copy and you read it and then mm. you gave it to me, um, and you said every time I tried to start highlighting or start making a note, and you just realised that 
you can't say it any more succinctly than this. Mm. And you just end up highlighting like a whole page. Yeah, because just, I've got seven pages of notes and I realised I was copying out the whole book. Yeah. So it's not ideal. But it is if it gets it into your... This is true. You know. But I think there's worth saying, like, that's the type of book this is. Like, it's very well... It's very well written. It's very mm. well explained. There's lots of technical vocabulary in it. Um, yeah, there's some w- meaty sentences. There's some real there. meaty like, sentences that you're like... I have to stop and look that, up that word. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and I wrote one of the notes I wrote down for this whole book is I am only just competent enough to read this book, and I would you say you and your ZPD. I think I'm right at the end. This is like just creeping into my ZPD. I think, mm. if, and only because I read it at a surface level. If I tried to read it at a deeper level, I think I would have really struggled. Yeah. So, um, did you read the the Gordon Sturrock chapter where he's talking about like so that's got some of the meatiest stuff yes. in it but then when you get to the bits which are easy to understand you're like yeah crusade like yeah, it's yeah. like really kind of stirring and going like this is how we're going to get Playwork to survive and uh, talking about and again links to Dewey and he's mm. kind of saying like just carrying on going oh we're not a classroom we're not a classroom we're not education like that isn't enough yeah. to justify you can't just define yourself by what you're not you can't yeah. just go well, we're not that and therefore we're really important you have to really define yeah. why is it important and how are you gonna survive mm. um and so he's talking about like exporting the ideas of play work to other fields um and kind of there's a lot of stuff about alliances yes yeah so that that really like lit up loads of light bulbs for me about um aligning with the commons movement mm-hmm. because again that links to do you want to explain what the commons movement is yeah so oh darn it now his name has gone out of my brain we'll, we'll find it we'll put a link we'll to find the book it. um so talking about um common common land common movement kind of uh as in shared land in said, that's a shared, thing that's according to needs you know not landowner going no private keep out yeah um doing things locally in a community and he's saying that there's a lot of alignment between playwork and the commons movement because there's no single authority but numerous centers of activity where individuals and groups offer distinctive and alternative kind of dialogues mm-hmm. um which is play, isn't it? You've got mm. like, if you just took a kind of snapshot of a, a, a play space yeah. with the play workers, the children of different ages, all the rest of it, bonk, it's like a kind of society in microcosm. And the way that it is run is very much, it's very it's as democratic as you can get it. It's very like, we're going to respect everybody's views. We're going to mm. go with what people want to do. It's not top down. It's not autocratic. And that's very similar to the commons movement, yeah. which is kind of growing through Extinction Rebellion, through Right to Rome movement, all these mm. kind of things going, well, actually, maybe the way that we're going to solve a lot of the planet's problems right now is through doing it on this kind of local scale and mm. t- and together with no um, sort of line of authority like that. Yeah. Um, which I thought was um, really interesting. And then he does talk about, uh, did you get the bit where he is basically talking indirectly about forest school? So he doesn't he doesn't name yes, forest school. I saw well I saw there's a bit that was like um the play worker movement is becoming it, or he thought it was like too insular mm-hmm. and there's a bit where he's kind of going we need to like look at outside ideas and start to bring them in mm-hmm. which is a thing that from my limited understanding and experience with the play worker community it it does feel like there's this thing of like in wanting to protect something mm. that they that people feel is really special it, it blocks out anything that might come in to aid it, mm. to make it 
You could probably say the same about forest school. Absolutely. Couldn't yeah. you? that kind of like no we've got the best idea and the way we do things is the way we do things um and a lot of kind of adventure playgrounds historically have been in urban environments um Mm. with a lot of kind of like man-made materials and tools available for children young people to build their own playgrounds with man-made stuff um and he's kind of going hang on a minute I've just had he kind of describes reading um Murray Bookchin who I've never heard of before this book but um reading my book chin and going oh right okay hang on yeah like humans have evolved alongside nature in the natural world um and playwork has been focused largely in what my book butching butching calls second nature which is um so first nature being biological nature mm-hmm. we are humans of planet earth second nature is all about human culture and development mm-hmm. and like human created systems and things and saying that play work has historically been situated in second nature spaces whereas he's going actually we need to be linking to the natural world especially now Mm. um and he's kind of he asks you know would your typical play worker necessarily know that a playground or play space was south facing do we know what biological elements our play spaces have i was like yes that is it that's exactly it like that is forest school for me it's like play work but in the natural world and then Mm. we talk quite a lot don't we about kind of balancing how many man-made things you bring into the space and how much of that second nature stuff which i guess things like acting out shakespeare on the stage all that that's Mm -hmm. all like second nature stuff but in a first nature space i suppose yeah um but i thought that was really interesting yeah one of the notes that i made um because i thought it was very very interesting uh, as a, an, a personal experiment that I've done because with a large sample size of two children that I've had. Oh, yeah. Um, so he's talking about the play cues in the play cycle mm-hmm. and saying that there's, so there's the metalude, which is the kind of like thought, ethereal, hey thing. Yeah. Uh, and then it goes off and does the play cue and then does whatever. So he then describes, and it's only very briefly, um, how non-verbal children so i'm gonna i'm just gonna mm-hmm. say non-verbal because yeah. i think he specifically mentions children with like learning mm-hmm. disabilities which i'm but i think it applies to other things as well yeah and he says um so normally the play cue is made by the play the first player oh, the yes, person who's had bit. the player yeah yeah um but what he then says is like non-verbal children uh essentially need an adult to verbalize the play cue Mm -hmm. for it to continue Mm -hmm. um which is a very interesting thing to kind of think about like so not so he's kind of saying uh, this is why i'm kind of pitching it at you as Mm -hmm. a like have i understood this children who are non-verbal can't do play without a verbal presence whether that's an older child or an adult is that what he's he's I, asserting? I would doubt that that's what he's asserting. Because it says adults they need they need uh, adults to verbalise the play cue for it to continue to avoid play to avoid decaying. I guess if um, he's talking about a non-verbal child playing with verbal children, because a non-verbal child could be playing by themselves, for example, with something, or even. That's what I thought. So I was thinking yeah. about my eighteen-month-old. Yeah. And thinking she does lots of play mm. on her own, mm. and it's like very exploratory play, very mm. like, hmm, eh, 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 bash, yeah, hmm, yeah. <laughs> poke that thing, eh, yeah, and throws it on the floor. She a new one. Yes, <laughs> you've met her. <laughs> She's a very silent Ewok. Um, 
but but that thing that like so when you read it that kind of implies that the play cue can't happen if you're not in some way verbal and i wondered if no, i misunderstood I don't, I don't think that could be uh, true something um but even okay so even here we go yeah here go on, read go. the bit because i would argue that even verbal um right i'll read the i'll read the yeah. sentence Find out about CPD courses at childrenoftheforest.com. Check out the podcast links for more details. Not all children are able to be in control of their play. Interesting sentence already, mm. right? You could unpick mm. just the first time. Mm. Not all children are able to be in control of their play, particularly children with profound and multiple learning difficulties, PMLDs. A study undertaken by Smith, 2017, with staff who work with children with multiple learning difficulties, found that due to a lack of verbal communication from the children, it was important for the adult to initiate the play cue. Mm -hmm. Smith found that the play cycle was a useful link between Bastian's idea of metacommunication and building playful relationships. Mm -hmm. So this idea that the adult has to do the play cue if there are children who are non-verbal... He's not just saying non-verbal though, is he? Is he's, he saying saying... he's saying due to the lack of verbal communication from okay. the children, mm -hmm. that the adult has to do the play cue. Mm. So there's something there that when I read it, I was like, eh? Well, I guess if you add um, sort of the, the multiple learning difficulties, including being nonverbal, um, would mean that being unable or finding it difficult to express yourself either verbally or physically right. together would make it very hard to get from the internal I see. So world if you haven't got child, verbal stuff, but you have got physical communication to fall back on, yes, that might be... Yeah, if you have good physical control, then you are able to kind of externalise your internal world. Mm. But if you haven't got ready access to either of those things, then how do you... Well, because then it... Yeah, because then it's, it, it got me thinking about how many of the... Just reading that, you, mm. you might think that the play cues are predominantly verbal because an adult has to verbalise them mm. or children who can verbalise, verbalise them. And I was like, I, my understanding of play cues is mm. that play cues are anything from mm. a look to a, mm. a to a throwing something at Definitely. someone. Yeah, so yeah. that's interesting, isn't it? That like he's saying that these children needed adults to verbalise the play cue, to go, mm. to go, which I think sometimes is what you and I do. Um, to help children understand, particularly neurodiverse children, uh, either to explain a neurodiverse play cue to the group mm -hmm. and go, when when she's doing that, she's mm. she's playing, yeah. or like I think Mike yes. is actually trying to to say this, Definitely. and maybe we're not and saying I'm it sure the right that's, way. That's exactly what I think. So going that's on there. the interpretation yeah. that I'm kind of taking of it yeah. is that sometimes we act as translators yes. for play cues one way or another between between the players whether they're both yeah. neurodivergent whether yeah. one is neurodivergent you know yes play receiver play cue that's how i would take it to be as well through knowing that child yeah very well and through working with them a lot you are able to be yeah the translator mm. yeah definitely and then there's another bit later on I feel like I'm like really interviewing about this, but I'm kind of. Yes. I should. Par I feel like I should. I'm ready do, to answer any question. Like a Parkinson thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's talking about uh, play cues in the animal world. Mm, really interesting. As I've said before, that. What the hell was that? That's a crow. Okay. 
Is it dead? <laughs> no, it's not in my boot. It's okay. live. Um, what was I say? Oh yeah. Okay. So, Animal World, the whole like non-verbal communication is my jam. Body mm. language, mm. all this stuff. I find it really incredible. Um, and he's talking about so rodents will bite on the nape of the neck when it's a play and they will bite on the rump when it's not play. Mm. He says um, primates will approach another primate wide-eyed, open-mouthed as a like submission thing to be like, I'm going to do some stuff, but it's just play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so my question is, why are we so crap at play cues? As, as human adults. As human... No, no, as, as, as like... So we've just said that sometimes a, a, a portion of our job, we think, is explaining play cues mm-hmm. around or explaining what appropriate play cues are. Or, or responding to Or responding to play, to cues. play cues yeah. that other children might not pick up on. But mm-hmm. we as an adult can go, oh, that person's asking for something. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll go and facilitate a need there. Um, why don't we have, as an animal, a thing that is like, hey their eyes are open and their mouths open mm. therefore playing because we have this whole subtlety of like yeah. hey yeah but their eye contact wasn't there oh but they were slightly turned towards you oh but they're there like no wonder children sometimes misinterpret play cues mm. it's so comp and maybe that's just you know maybe the animal kingdom is more complex and we just don't un- we don't I would see say, the complexities I would say of it. it is because even like so dogs have their play bow which is a kind of well-known thing where they kind of put yeah. their four, yeah, yeah. Le- four legs down. Um, but even still, because I've just got a dog, I'm kind of observing this all the time. Yeah. Um, even with that really obvious, like, I am playing, let's play. The other player doesn't always accept that play cue, even though they probably can say, well, I know you're playing, but I don't want you anywhere near me. I'm going to growl at you and snap my teeth or whatever mm. or yeah i will play with you for a bit but now it's stopped or yeah. now you want to play in chasing way but i'm going to play in a knock you over type way so even mm. even with those really obvious like i'm just playing as a play bow doesn't necessarily mean it's all going to be like cool i'll ret- i'll give you a play return and then we'll loop and flow and it'll just be fine until it's annihilation time and then goodbye see you later it's like yeah do you know what i mean i do i just yeah that was my mm kind of like it's really interesting because you've picked out bits that i like read quite early on and kind of forgotten about mm. there was a statement in there that i really liked which i thought was um uh it's very simple sentence but very impactful if you actually take it on board yeah. um and it was like it was something along the lines of play workers um consider and like choose with intention oh, yes. their interactions like with the so oh, yeah, man. obviously my my jam is like intentional things yes and like doing that stuff but i was like oh that's if you had that as like one of the teaching principles or one of the forest school principles that like you know leaders choose their interactions with the children intentionally yes it would just tweak something yes in your in everybody's approach that would go I've just got to think about whether I'm doing this intentionally and what my intention is. And Absolutely. Like a risk-benefit analysis, you could have a, like an intention-benefit analysis um, where you would just think about like, oh, I am putting, you know, I am going to go and talk to that person. Why am I going to talk to that person? What am I risking by talking to that person? So I really thought that was interesting. Yeah. When you have an, when you have this understanding of the play cycle going on in your head, it impacts 
your intentionality it impacts what you think is yeah. a risk. And you yourself have said this last couple of weeks, you keep walking mm. around and going past me and going, there's too many play cycles going on and I'm seeing them all and I don't know what... You know. I, not as in, I didn't, I didn't believe there were too many play cycles. No, no, it's no, just no, that just... When, when you're aware of them and you yeah. see them, you're like, okay, this is completely fascinating. So-and-so is in this play cycle of this, but over there, that's happening, that's happening. And it also makes you completely like... I'm not going to say overthink because I don't think there's such a thing as overthinking, even though it is hard work. Um, Your role in the whole place. So you're like, okay, well, I kind of thought we were going to like tell a story at some point today. But if I like stop everyone right now because we said we were going to do a story, then I'm stopping that play cycle at that point and this one over here at that point. And who am I to do that? And la 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 la. But then we'd never do anything and we'd never like have lunch because, you know. Um, But yeah, that kind of play worker's role um, as kind of facilitating and giving holding space for completed play cycles that's the Mm. goal that's the therapeutic goal that if somebody is always having their play cycle interrupted they never have that free space and time and they never play out the material that's inside them that's when sort of problems happen so kind of our role to facilitate and enable those things to come to their natural end and we were talking i was asking you this week about um so when you all the theory and stuff about play cycles is written from like a single player's kind of like perspective you know it's the person has the interlude Mm. the person sends the play cue it is then returned and it's kind of implied it's returned by an adult or another child Mm. or something else and then it goes back to the one you know it's it's Mm. like individual centered um and i was asking you about like what happens when there's five children playing all together in a cooperative group because you might be interrupting someone's super valuable play cycle. You know, one of them might be going, this is everything I need. This is like super therapeutic for me. And some of them might be going, yeah, I have watched Harry Potter and I kind of know what's going on Mm. with wands. And that's kind of fun to move my stuff around. Mm. Um, And like whether there's a hierarchy of cycles or whether it's like... See, I would argue that there isn't. I would argue that... Um, I think I'm not arguing there yeah. is but just, no, no. I'm just yeah. thinking things completely and we had this discussion the other day yeah. didn't we because I think that even the kid who's like okay I'll kind of go along with this I guess it wasn't really my idea but I'm kind of you know they like loads of stuff is happening for that person mm. loads you know they're kind of observing and watching it. okay where's my place in the in the group here and what's my role and how much do I want to be told what to do and how much am I going to tell other people what to do and how am I going to respond and react and when am I going to say actually no I don't think that should happen or no I don't like this anymore or when am I going to step out or when am I going to continue presumably though you could have so let's let's take the example where there's three people Mm. playing in a game Mm. you could have one person for whom the play cycle is like absolute flow Mm-hmm. I'm not even thinking about this stuff. I understand the rules and I, I you know I have this good social relationship that means that I know hey I throw this out and I know that my the partner will send it back or the other person will send it back. Mm. Um but you can have another person in that three for whom the same play is an incredibly stressful play cycle because mm-hmm. it's unfamiliar to them. They don't have the same social things. The same social like credit to use Mm -hmm. so where in three people playing a game and it could be like a game of chase let's say Mm -hmm. one person can be go this is absolute flow for me i'm doing this i'm doing this i'm doing this and interrupting that play cycle Mm -hmm. would be kind of like oh i've interrupted something that you were super in Mm -hmm. someone might be having a very stressful play cycle in exactly the same experience and when interrupted might go oh that was actually that was actually me running at you know six thousand 
RPM. I was about the top of what I could do. I'm really glad of a change. Mm. So how do you respond to those kind of things? How mm. do you do? You just have to watch to go who's who. Who is this play cycle easy for, and who is finding this play cycle tricky? Is that all you have to do? I think so, and I think be and not make necessarily not necessarily make assumptions. Mm-hmm. And that the longer you are doing this kind of job, then the easier it is to let people be uncomfortable. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you don't know kids very well or you haven't been doing it very long, then the minute somebody looks a bit troubled when they're playing or looks a bit like they're having a hard time or they are actually stressed out or they are actually frightened in a slightly scary game, yeah. I think the quicker you are to go, are you all right? Do you want to come and help me do the bloody blah, actually? Because you, you, know, cause you just mm. want to like look after people all the time and protect them. Uh, you don't mm. want them to have a bad experience. And then the longer you know somebody, that you go, actually... I can I can let you. You understand their language a little bit more. You understand like oh, okay. Yeah, and you also see the bit, value. You've of got a, completed... a few more spoons left to use. Yeah, and, and, and you, you know. see the benefit of a completed play cycle, even if it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows the whole time for somebody. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So if they yeah. found it really hard, but they get to the end of it and it comes to its natural end, that you know, who are you to make that judgment call about? Like oh, that wasn't the, that wasn't their play cycle. That was somebody else's. That they were kind of. Because yeah. you don't know what's happening in the inner world. And there are times when you go, oh, God, I really think that... I think you've made a comment about um, a kid recently going, God, they are just so resilient. I've just been observing them. And, you mm. know, and play doesn't... Like, often doesn't go, like, their way, in inverted commas. But they just, like... And, you know, if you didn't know that person very well, you'd be like, oh, gosh, you know, that was quite a tough experience. And you might go, oh, I'm going to make sure that I really really super help that person but actually you keep yeah. watching you're like whoa they're actually okay they're really yeah. thriving they're just that's who they are right now they're just kind of mm. yeah um i really like the stuff about so there's the um it's a separate paper called transactional analysis and the ludic third oh the ludic oh third that was the thing this morning ah. that was absolutely making my brain hurt so that is a paper in its own right and i think you can probably get it on the internet in fact i'm sure you can whether it's behind a paywall or not i don't know but um this is all about like functional fluency and this <laughs> is either to flickering ah, i love it and it's got some lovely diagrams what i have copied into my little book with my pyro no, pen oh my god no but it's kind of going back to what you're saying about being intentional oh it's super like interesting defining. it's just dense it's like okay so what is a good play work what is good play work practice but it's also kind of what it is to be a great forest school leader to be a good parent to be a good person who works with people in mm. the world and so um there's this diagram which is very hard to explain but it's kind of like um at the it's in different sections like guiding and directing and looking after people is at the top of the diagram for example so both of those things you could definitely say is um part of a forest school leader's job there's a little vole on the floor a vole under that log oh yeah oh it's a shrew i think is it a shrew yeah it's a shrew quite quite big um yeah so guiding directing and looking after people are both part of forest school leaders yes. job for sure and at the negative end of those aspects mm-hmm. of human life are dominating on one side being bossy finding fault being punitive at the other end but still negative is marshmallowing mm. really like overindulgent smothering people being too hard being too soft exactly 
Um, whereas at the positive end of those things are structuring and nurturing. So structuring being inspiring, well-organized and firm, nurturing, accepting, understanding and compassionate. So there's the, you know, that's the good end of guiding, directing and looking after people. And in the middle is the accounting kind of state of mind where you're alert, aware, assessing, aware of inner and outer worlds um, and based in current reality and being rational and evaluative. So this paper argues that as a play worker, you want to be in the accounting state. Mm-hmm as much as possible you're in the here and now you're not thinking about like what happened last week with that person or what happened when you were a kid oh when i was a kid i had a really yeah. bad experience with that so what i don't want with you that to other have group. that thing i've done that last yeah. year and we did that thing yeah exactly yeah. and not in the future of going oh god if I, if this happens then this could happen in the future just in the here and now completely alert aware assessing for risk mm. all those kind of things and being rational evaluative and then other bits are relating to others and doing my own thing and so the good bit of relating to the others would be being cooperative, friendly, assertive, considerate. Being negative would be anxious, rebellious, submissive, or compliant. Like compliant, resistant, basically. Yeah. Uh, doing my own thing would be good. Positive side of that is spontaneous, creative, zestful, and expressive. Negative is egocentric, reckless, selfish, and immature. So these are all um, designed by someone called Susanna Temple, um, who wrote this paper with Pete King. It's the nine models of behavior under the functional fluency model and i really liked this as a because um in bob hughes evolutionary playwork which we also did yeah a podcast about um there's a lot in there about types of play worker mm-hmm. but i really like this diagram in terms of like ev- all of us have these yeah. sides to us yeah. and all of us have days where we're going to fall more into one of these or things situations that make that's kind of <sighs> nudge you because that's part of i think what's interesting about forest school and play working is this acknowledgement of like you as a human i've always said Mm. that one of the things i really appreciated coming out of teaching like state teaching was this thing of like no personal stuff you know you can be like crazy you could use a different font if you want but like you're not really a 3d person you could teach the powerpoints in a different order (laughs) the powerpoints that you haven't even written (laughs) that you've been given not even by your department but maybe by an external consultancy um but Playworking Forest School have this thing where they're like, acknowledge you as part of the process, part of the community, and you're not above influence or, um, yeah. you know, it's it's not wrong to go like, do you know what's rainy today? And that's making me, you know, mm. feel different or not not particularly want to. Like, on a sunny day, hey, I'm uh, guys, I'm happy to like, get on the scramble net with you and do this and... Um, you know, maybe play some chase games, and then you go. Do you know what? I I haven't actually had as much in my lunchbox as I would have liked today, so I'm probably not going to do any chasing. And that's okay mm-hmm. to acknowledge yourself as part of it. I mean, if you kept being like, "No, nah, I don't want mm. to," then I think you'd have to assess it and go, "You're not looking after yourself." But in the moment, you're not above kind of checking in with where you are mm-hmm. before you go. And how will that impact my yeah, next interaction? Yeah, it's all that reflective thing, isn't it? Completely. Yeah. And I like in this book, it talks about being in the witness position. So mm. as a play worker or for a school leader, I think you're, you're, you're the witness to the stuff happening, which means that you are, um, yes, facilitating all the play that needs to happen yeah. and reflecting on it and your own influence upon it and that you're able to keep your own kind of anxiety and fears and expectations in check. And yeah. it's almost like mindfulness. It's like just oh, living yeah. in the moment and just going, yeah, and like you say, not beating yourself up if you have a thought about like, Ooh. Yeah. There's, um, 
One of the thoughts I had at the start about the Metalude, actually quite a lot through this book, they're talking about. So the, the play cycle is split in half and the Metalude happens in the inner, inner what's the inner word? World. Inner world. And then the queue happens in the outer world. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of internalize yeah. it. And then the return happens in the outside, mm -hmm. but then flow loop and, and loop mm -hmm. happens back inside the internal world. Mm -hmm. And there's lots in this book about like preserving the like boundary of that internal world like you're not as the play worker we are not supposed to go into that world we're not supposed to think that we can go into that world we're not supposed to try and go into that world which i think is really interesting when you think about so the thing that came up when i was thinking about metalludes is like springboards mm. which is kind of the way that you would go um mm. set up an activity but yep. you know hey here the springboard is a story and as forest school leaders were going, I imagine this will lead into den building, or mm. I imagine this might think, but, and whether we, you know, I think this is something that forest school leaders would do, um, maybe subconsciously, or not necessarily thinking about it in academic terms, but when we set up a springboard as opposed to a craptivity or a directed activity, mm -hmm. the reason that we're framing it as a springboard is because we're respecting that internal world mm -hmm. and going, I can only affect what happens in the external world. I can yeah. only affect what's on the table. What I can't impact is what your brain, do, you the learner, mm -hmm. your, or your brain does with the information yeah. of there's a hammer on the table. Yeah. Which could be nothing. Which I could can be accept. absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah. It could yeah. be, you know, it's like, and that's where I think I see stuff that I find I'm going to just say difficult to watch mm. if you have stuff where it's like I've left out nails and hammers and bits of wood and the bits of wood have all got like a dot to dot on it and the idea is that you put the nails on the dots um you do that every day don't you that of kind course. of uh, play invitation play invitation um <laughs> but then but then what i <laughs> but then what i find in, or find difficult to watch is then people going like that's not what we're doing with that tool today or that's not if it's like risky like you want to go twat someone in the head with it yeah Obviously, or destroying something that or destroying be something right you know those things are kind of different yeah. they're outside what i'm talking about is like somebody who wants to just put nails everywhere somebody who wants to actually use the back end of the hammer and see if that makes divots in it because mm -hmm. you have it, as a reflective kind of respectful forest school leader you're just looking at it as going all i can do is put hammers on the table and i can do something next to you which again is another springboard but I can't tell you what the information, what your brain's going to do with. Gemma is sat next to me and she's putting screws into the table because it might be, I'm going to kick her in the shin. Um, <laughs> like that might be the metalude that comes from that scenario. For you. So For play you. that makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I just thought that was a really interesting way of framing it. When we talk about springboards is that respect for inner world of going, do you know what we can affect? We can affect the outer world. You know, we can't yeah. affect we can't affect children's inner world and we have to really understand that and that then feeds into that cycle of like planning around children's needs and views and kind of you know every observation that we make is built on a collection of kind of remembering what their inner world did with previous information we gave mm. them that's all we're doing i mm. think mm. once you frame it in this kind of play cycle thing it's yeah. like, oh, last time you had that information and your metalude was this. Mm. Might be the same, might not be the same, mm. but I'm building up more information about your inner world. Support the podcast today by becoming a Patreon member. 
at childrenoftheforest.com. Check out the podcast links for more details. Absolutely. And also, inevitably, you are affecting that things that happen in the play space are affecting the inner world for for the future as well. And you Mm. don't necessarily have control over that. You know, it's like stuff, not just stuff that you have planned or done or said is affecting the inner world of that child, like stuff that you won't even be aware of because they're just like playing at the bottom of the hill and you can see them. You can't hear what they're talking about and Mm. you don't necessarily, you know, you don't know everything. You can't know everything. Yeah. Um, There's a whole bit about um, the play cycle observation method, which I guess comes back around in a circle to like, here's the play cycle. It's a thing. Lots of people in playwork have gone, yeah, cool, the play cycle. Um, but it hasn't necessarily had much interrogation or research to back it up. Right. And so then, um, so I think I told you, don't necessarily read this. I didn't. No. <laughs> so in Precy, it's there are forms in there to fill out. There is a way of evaluating and observing play cycles. So um, not evaluating, recording. So you would watch it so he talks about Pete King talks about doing it with some students at Swansea University and they're watching video so five mm-hmm. minutes of video and they're told to focus on one child first of all and observe the place what's the play cue what what's the play return how long does the play cycle last how does it end and then note it down right. and then do it for the other children in the video in the whatever. same scenario yeah. so watch the same video over and over yeah. okay yep and then so you can use the resources in the book in your setting if you want to and observe the play cues, the returns, the um, the adult intervention, the length of the play cycle till the end. And then there's actually some maths there to work out things like the percentages of play cues issued by certain children. Okay. And how often they get a return. So after you've done no. it, you can go, oh, blimey, like... So-and-so is, this person so-and-so. is not getting stuff returned, or is yeah. getting everything returned. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so that can give you an indication of um, children's involvement, and you can, see, you can see kind of dominant children in the play space, mm-hmm. um, kids that aren't giving any play cues, or very few, and you're like, okay, why is that? And so that can give you information to um, for your kind of setting up, your resourcing of your play space, all that kind of stuff. It strikes me that you could do a really interesting graph. Have you seen when you have, like, um, so sometimes people do it for films. They have all the characters around the outside of like a circle, mm-hmm. and then every time a char- two characters have a conversation, they draw a line, mm-hmm. and then the thicker it. And so there's mm-hmm. not to get really like mm-hmm. woke about it, but there's a lot of stuff where I can't remember the name of the person, but they do this test on films where they're like, do two yes, female talk characters about yes. talk about anything other than anyway? Yes. Um, so you could have one of those graphs. But you could do everyone in your group. Mm-hmm. If you had a small enough group mm-hmm. and you could record it all and you think you could accurately do whatever, um, you could do something where you're like, um, child A and child D, they ping back mm. play cues, loads and loads and loads. Child D only did a couple mm-hmm. with child F, uh, but child F had a really strong connection. With You mm. could have this like pinging spiderweb diagram yeah. of like, where are the strongest... Now, would you say that... Of just as I got to this point in the sentence, I stopped. Yes. Does more returned play cues indicate a stronger relationship or just an understanding of each other's play cues? Ooh, what a great question. <laughs> yes, I did it! <laughs> I don't know. I, I want to do the, I want to do it. I want to do the, the mapping. 
Do you, do you, you yeah, understand? Because they're different things, aren't they? Completely. You could re- you could return lots of someone's play cues. Yeah. Um, and still not have a particularly yeah strong what what you would call like a strong relationship. Yeah. Um. And I, what I find fascinating, especially now that our provision runs two consecutive days for mm. one of our groups, is that some days people do that, ping, 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 all day. And then... Do you mean like two people will yeah, do it together? Yeah. Yeah. And be just in this like, well, like play cycle after play cycle. This is our own thing. Just yeah. in their own world for a whole day. And then the following day, to the point where you... If you didn't know them, you didn't know you'd out. go, these people are the best friends. They haven't really spoken to anyone else. They are must be absolutely best buddies. And the next day, they're kind of like, you're right, you're right. And that might be the only interaction they have all day. Mm. And it'll be like a different link up, different relationship with somebody else that day. Mm. Um, I find that completely And sometimes, so I think this is worth saying, because people might be listening to this and kind of going like, oh, yeah, I understand. You know, Because the, the example we gave was you jump out on someone and go, ha-ha, and then the other person goes, ha-ha, or whatever. Um, but sitting, two children sitting on a log, chatting yes. for an hour or so. Let's yes. let's say hypothetically, <laughs> two children did that, and you and I kept going over and going. Are they still chatting? Yeah, they're still chatting. Well, they just sat on the log talking. To they've moved from the yeah. log to the swing, but they're still talking. Which again, talking, talking, go talking. back to our vestibular podcast because they were meeting vestibular needs because the the play was entirely verbal. Yeah. So it was all just about like chat about talking things about hypothetically yeah. talking about like video games that they may or may not yeah. have ever played so to meet the physical side of it they would they were also swinging they yeah. were kicking their legs on the log or whatever but um but the play cycle was entirely verbal yeah and just went on and on and on and that is yeah. a i think that could be a misconstrued yes, thing of like players you know physical is is role play yeah but that's not necessarily you know play is communication play you know, communication, communication play, is play is everything else yeah um i talked to you a little while ago and i asked you about play cues mm. and i said so lots of children's play cues and lots of adults will use this play cue as well where they go up essentially to someone they're not playing with and behind them they go ah or some children will take that even further and will just lash, will just physically hit someone. Yeah. And that is their play cue. Yeah. And I was asking if that works, not works, if that gets the result that the, the person who goes row, the person who goes to whatever, because that in an unavoidable way stops whatever play cycle the recipient is going through. Mm-hmm. So if, if you and I are mm-hmm. having some communication play, we're chatting just like we're doing now, we're mm-hmm. going through, and someone comes up behind me and goes, rah, mm-hmm. I don't really have an option but to stop the play cycle we're mm-hmm. in and turn around to that person. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, that gets the person who said rah, mm-hmm. they've got the, what they wanted, which was, I'm now involved in them and their play cycle. And mm-hmm. my response is either, what are you doing? Or mm-hmm. I go, oh, let's do that again and chase me. Um, but it's not a. Sometimes, like with the hitting, mm-hmm. with the, with the hitting, mm-hmm. um, it's not a comfortable play cue to watch as leaders because we see the other play cycle going on, mm-hmm. and you see someone arrive and just going rah or punching or mm-hmm. in any other way steamrolling the cycle that is going mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. and just going like fuck this, mm-hmm. I've got a play need, mm. whose game? Mm. Um, 
But do you think they're really thinking, fuck this? I don't think they I think it's very rare for somebody to be going, fuck this. What, in it's what sense? It's just like, have a thing. Here's the thing to the world. There's not necessarily an awareness of like, oh, I can see that those people are involved in a play cycle of their own. I am going to steamroll it. No, Check I disagree. Out. I disagree. You think so? I think there are definitely... Deliberate sabotage. I think especially at a social level, mm-hmm. there are definitely some... Uh, and you can maybe I'm laying stuff on that isn't necessarily happening, mm-hmm. but um, I think I've definitely seen for over the years mm-hmm. examples of like, hey, that person was my best friend yesterday, and now they're playing with so and so, and so I'm gonna like disrupt their play cycle and keep going. So you know, two people are um, I don't know. Let's say two people are in the digging hole mm-hmm. and digging. Uh, and there's someone on the outside who thinks that one of them actually that's my best friend why are they digging with that person mm-hmm. and so they'll keep running over and like throwing pine cones at that person or trying to pull them away like hey do you want to come do this thing with me mm-hmm. or like hey I'll let you do that thing that you wouldn't you wouldn't um, I couldn't let you do yesterday but now I'm actually okay with it like this mm-hmm. bargaining mm-hmm. play cue of like mm-hmm. I actually need you to be involved in my play cycle mm-hmm. and so to do that I have to disrupt the play cycle that you're currently in with this other partner. Mm-hmm. So I do think there's an element of I need to break your play cycle. Yeah, not, not I guess, at a conscious level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I don't like that that he's playing with him. I mm-hmm. want him to play with me. Mm-hmm. I guess that's kind of where our role comes in as sort of uh, emotional coaches mm-hmm. and social coaches. So a lot of our kids now have definitely learnt kind of respectful ways to deal with that so kids that have been here for longer and are able to in the moment are able to turn to the person who's maybe disrupting the, the play cue that they're, the, the play cycle they're currently in and go I don't want to play that right now yeah um and continue yeah where they were um and you know we talk about this kind of like oh you know and if that has a an emotional effect a negative emotional effect on the person who was issuing the yeah because their play cue hasn't been returned then kind of helping like coaching them through those feelings as well and going just because they don't want to play right now doesn't mean they never want to play with you mm-hmm. it just means that they're doing that right now or they mm. just don't want to play that right now or they just want to play with three people at the moment um but let's see what everyone else is doing or i could use some help with this or whatever so supporting um and that is part of life isn't it mm-hmm. so if you were just kind of i mean you can't you can't preserve a play cycle in a special glass box so that it's got no interruptions. That interruption might not be a person steamrolling play. It might be a woodpecker flies past your head or Mm. the thing you're playing with breaks. Maybe that's what I feel is maybe missing from this book is like in the play cycle, the options are the play is destroyed. The play cue is returned. Those Mm -hmm. are the two from the like, person person has play cue mm-hmm. play is either destroyed or returned mm-hmm. um which makes sense if you're looking at it from the perspective of the person trying to disrupt an existing play cycle because mm-hmm. they're coming in with their own play cue either it gets returned or it gets killed off mm-hmm. but for the people already in a play cycle mm-hmm. it, i'm not sure i necessarily understand how an an extra play cue coming in from the side if you mm-hmm. like well, I think it either gets. I think it either gets taken up because sometimes it does get taken up. That's the thing yeah, as well, yeah, yeah. isn't it? You have an interruption. You're like, hell yes, that looks fun. Mm. I'm gonna stop that other thing and and do this thing now. You know, but um, there is a discussion of display. Yes. Um, 
with a Y mm -hmm. being what happens when a child has unplayed out material, not enough completed play cycles, and all of that unplayed out material coming out in other ways which are potentially antisocial or disruptive. Mm -hmm. um, and I, yeah, I am really interested in that at the moment and really interested in, like, in inverted commas, antisocial play cues of the type that you're describing mm -hmm. and thinking about children that we've had here and everyone knows kids like this and adults like this that just are in this thing where the play cues they're giving just are not taken up because they are seen as being antisocial. The play mm -hmm. cue is repeatedly throwing a punk at somebody or shouting at someone in their face and you know mm. you get this is every age mm. it's not just like you know it's a real common toddler thing um but can be right up into adulthood i'm sure and it's like how you help those people to be able to have more successful play cues without yeah. going you're being rude what you're doing is no wrong. you're being disrespectful yeah. because who are we to say that that's rude or disrespectful especially with neurodivergent young people it's oh, like absolutely. well you know yes it's rude in inverted commas by neurotypical standards but mm. um you know it's bullshit to turn around it, someone and go you're being rude that's not our judgment call to make it's our role if that person's play cues are repeatedly not being picked up and that's having a damaging psychological effect on them or their play cues are so violent that they are significantly disrupting other children's play cycles and having an adverse effect on them then it's our it's our role to support that child yeah. or young person with those play cues whether it is responding ourselves so yeah. going oh actually when they threw that pine cone at me it kind of did hurt my leg but right now is not the time to start lecturing about throwing yeah. right now is the time to go oh right i'm gonna come get you and like yeah. chase them so that they have a successful opportunity to get into the loop and flow stage yeah um and get that unplayed out material out do you think I would like you to respond with like oh I definitely agree or I disagree or it's more complicated why have you made this a stupid question or a stupid statement maybe uh, only children have the right to interrupt the like unequivocal right to interrupt others play cycles because we talked a lot about adult intervention mm. and adulterating play and how that's very negative and you mustn't put your own things on the play but then we're also saying that children, other children, mm -hmm. have a right to interrupt existing play cycles because they might, they might get picked up. Mm -hmm. So, statement again, only children mm -hmm. have the unequivocal right to interrupt the ongoing play cycles or existing play cycles. Oh, it's such a tough one, isn't it? As I said, I've been thinking about this loads recently and it's like, well, me bellowing a song about it's snack time mm -hmm. is inevitably interrupting play cycles however if i don't do that and i end up with a That's number of very hungry children who have been playing completely oblivious to their yeah. body's needs yeah, yeah. or it's starting to chuck it down with rain and nobody's put their coat on and now all they're all soaked to the skin because they've been completely in flow and I haven't interrupted people's play cycles mm. to advise but I think those are, those are slightly different examples because I understand that you can interrupt for a like there's a benefit to be had the risk is yeah, I'm yeah. going to disrupt this play cycle yeah. but the yeah, benefit is yeah that's it it's a dynamic risk assessment right because, because interrupting the play cycle is a risk is if a we risk. believe that it is psychologically important to complete a play cycle 
then every time you are disrupting that, there is a risk of harm. Just in case you weren't already like overthinking your role with your kids. Every interruption of a place. Intentional, intentional work. Um, but so uh, there's a lot of movement. I'm just floating things now. Mm. So there's lots of movement about um, what's the stupid line that is like you don't get old because you you don't stop playing because you get old. You get old Mm. because you stop playing. Okay, so we're talking about this thing, and adults have play cues. They're just different play cues. Um, so in a setting where we're saying that we are, I'm playing devil's advocates here. Yeah, love it. So, oh, hello, Bumblebee. Um, where we're in a setting, we're acknowledging that we are part of the community. We're yes. acknowledging that you, you know, you can't pretend we don't exist. All these things. Uh, why? I think I know the answer to this already, but I'm going to let you answer it. Why are our play needs... So children can interrupt each other mm. because they have play needs mm. and they might get their play returned. Mm. Adults cannot interrupt children with their own play needs mm. and cannot dominate the play. Is that just because we have an innate kind of like dominance because we're bigger, because we're... Oh, so our play cycles would dominate if we brought them into that setting? I think it's about finding the balance. So if you go back to the diagram that I was talking about before and the functional fluency, if you're being like inspiring and friendly and zestful and creative and expressive in your behavior that's mm. one thing mm-hmm. if you're going which could involve like oh yeah no that thing does look like wings Whee! yeah as i did this week mm-hmm. um so that is me issuing a play cue mm-hmm. and doing it and maybe unintentionally interrupting some other play cycles as I whoosh past some other people playing Harry Potter with my muddy tarpaulin wings. Um, but if you're going, right, everyone do it like this, you're doing that, yeah, you be this, and I, you know, and you're dominating. Because that's, chi- that, that's how children sometimes play oh, with yeah. each other. Yeah, yeah, so but, that, but, that's, but yeah. they are children and we are adults with, uh, <laughs> 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 with you know, a life, our lifetime's worth of experience and awareness and we've got the ability sometimes <laughs> to <laughs> control our impulses. <laughs> Do you know what I was doing last night? I was throwing orange at my family's face. <laughs> <laughs> they were like off to tea Sorry. it's like you know the game where you try and throw some food in someone's mouth so it started out as that <laughs> I was just throwing segments of orange at my family's oh, okay. faces you didn't say segments of orange and so you just said I was throwing an orange at my family's face like a full cricket no, ball orange like a segment <laughs> and I really recommend it because it's something about the what shape I know it's like about the shape and the weight of a segment means <laughs> When it bounces off a forehead. <laughs> it is the most hysterical thing ever. And very, very funny. Um, yeah. So, you know, was I dominating that? Yeah, probably. Was that some unplayed out material of mine? Well, definitely. Most definitely. Well, I think that's... So that's uh, why I was then, as you were saying... they're families that don't count. So family is a different setting, mm. isn't it? Where you are kind of like... Not exactly, but you're more equal players. If mm. we're looking at this as like... We're facilitating a service. We're yes. facilitating a thing as professionals. Yeah. Then, <clears throat> in the same way that, like, I don't know, if you were go, you were going to the bank, and halfway through your appointment about your mortgage, they went, "Oh, I'm just going to check on mine." 
Yes. That would be the equivalent. Or like you're yeah, at a restaurant like and the person analogy. sat down next to you and said, I, I'm actually on my lunch break right now. Mm. So I'm going to eat with you. That's We're in a service role in mm. that point. So we are parking our own, to, an, to yes. a greater or lesser degree. Yes. We are, which kind of goes against what I was saying earlier about really enjoying this job because it allows you to be... No, because I think all those sort of interactions where you could view it as you are playing out your unplayed out material here and you are dominating and you are riding roughshod over all these play cycles, you could look at those interactions actually as relationship building, as getting, you know, as getting to know the mm. children that you're working with, as being inspiring and creating, creative and successful and all the rest of it, um, depending on what glasses you're wearing. Do you know mm. what I mean? Um, and I and I wonder actually how different a family setting is because I was just thinking like okay what would be an example of what you're just saying like in a family you maybe have a bit more leeway to go like no but guys I really want to do this thing and sometimes we do do that sometimes we do go at, like at the start of the day when we want to play like a big game or whatever sometimes we go does anyone play this game okay no no one wants to play this game well I'll just explain to you but sometimes you go do you know what, guys? I'd, I'd really love it if we could just test it out because I've never played this game before or I just invented it. Would, ever, would anyone be willing, you know, and just like Sell it push a it more. a little bit more and go, I do actually have a need to play this game. Would anyone like... Would you describe that as like strong and weak cues? So a weak cue would be like, anyone want to play this? Mm. And a strong cue is like, whilst you've got like, you're doing the, the circle of check-in. Mm. We've still got everybody's attention momentar- mm. very momentarily. Yeah. And we kind of go, okay, I want to use this to, to pitch. And so I want to make this strong play cue of like, yeah. if you would really like to, let me do Yeah. You know, we've invested more behind it. They can, they can feel that we're invested more behind it. Yes. In the same way that children probably can pick up on each other's play cues of like, that person's just walked past me and thrown a thing. They're not really fussed whether I yeah. return that or not. Or that person's just walked past and gone like, hey, poo-poo brain, and walked past. <laughs> you know, they're just, it's a throwaway play cue. And then there are somewhere, you know, someone goes like, you're my cat now. Yeah. And they stand next to that person. Yeah. And wait. And there's kind of this like, this is a heavy play. This is a strong yeah. play cue. I'm going to. I need a you know a direct answer. I need a response one way or the other. Mm. Very. Yeah, I know. And you and I will often check in and go, "Is this like a wolf call moment? Is this like a bring the whole group back because we're doing this thing, because we like you know really need people to know what's going on right now, or is this a kind of yeah not so strong thing yeah. of I'm just going to start doing it and if someone notices like cooking for example like yeah. if if there's a cooking thing that relies on this stage having happened for the next stage to have happened or like everyone needs to make their own dough ball because it's a very involved process and if i just do it for everybody it's not going to work or you know Mm -hmm. what i mean that kind of thing like do we stop everybody and go hey the cooking kind of has to happen now in this order so if you want to eat something you all have to stop or is it a like just i'll just start doing it if someone notices then Mm. they'll join in and that's fine or not and that's also fine because and sometimes we're making that decision not necessarily completely based on the play cue we're about to start but based on the play cycle that we're about to interrupt exactly so yeah we might we might 
in other scenarios. If they're kind of milling, there's some, you know, some play cycles are winding down, people are looking a bit, you know, whatever, then we go, hey, cooking, that's, yeah. that's the cue. Hey, anyone want to cook? Yeah. Um, in ex you might be doing exactly the same recipe. It might be exactly the same thing of like, oh, it has to happen now if they want to eat. Mm. And we make the opposite call where we go, shall we just not eat yes. today? Yeah. Shall, not, not, not. No, yeah, yeah. Just so, not cook. Today is not the day. Not, shall yeah. we just not cook today? Yeah, because yeah. what they're doing down there is can really you, important. Can you imagine having that level of reflective thought and in the moment analysis on your own? Like there's people listening no, I to this. No, you can do it. Who are doing that. Oh, it would be so, like, they're so difficult. Credit to you, oh my God. Because the amount of times that we do that per day mm. and go like, and you know, you've seen different things to me. You've been down the hill, I've been up the hill. Is now the right time to bloody, bloody, blah, blah, blah? Or do we just not do that? Or what's the, you know, and the longer yeah. we work together, the more we kind of don't have to necessarily do that out loud because we both get the vibe yeah no like today we were doing toddler grief yeah. and there just wasn't time for one of the things that we said we were going to do because we focused they're more like on... ships in the night conversation where we're yeah. both walking past each other and we just Can go that? Yeah. this is going to yeah okay yeah um <laughs> but that level of you know and things that we've talked about before about um part of our practice that we go no we are we are going to continue that routine like there aren't mm. that many things that we do but the checking in circles yeah. in the morning we have tried it without and on balance right now we go whatever the potentially negative impact of stopping people's play cycles to call everybody to the check-in circle the risk is greater by not doing it yeah. even though it is impactful. i think it's one of those things where if we were in a so i'm sometimes i'm very uh, envious of um people who walk to their site with their group you know they meet the group somewhere they walk to the site yeah because essentially doing that walk i think you can do the check-in circle during yes. that walk before any play cycle before really any play cycle hold. before any like non-community you know people are having a chat so there are play cycles going on but you arrive at the site with already a gauge of how people are doing not just you the leaders but the peers know how each other is doing they know what each other have had for breakfast they know what they've watched on tv you know those kind of things when they arrive but because at our site the children are dropped off here and they, they're straight in they're straight into play cycles mm. and sometimes the most difficult play the di most difficult play cycle happens in that first bit because i think one of the benefits of the circle is is trying to encourage them to go don't just say your own thing and go mm. and like mentally go daydream mm. do whatever chat um, to go like you might go and try and play cue with that person later mm -hmm. and it's important for you to know that, that he hasn't had breakfast or it's important for or you their to dog know just died that, or they're, that yeah. they're super excited they're full of energy so if you don't want to play in that kind of style mm. maybe you know yeah it's super important so yes it does disrupt play cues but it also facilitates I was going to say better no yeah I don't mean more successful play more successful on. play cues yeah. that's that's a good way of phrasing it yeah um those are kind of all of the thoughts I have yeah. on this book. Same. I mean, they're uh, not, but that's all the stuff that I can express right now. Um, sometimes we talk about, would you put this in like a level three um, mm. Training syllabus? Would you, would you? I'd say it's, as you said, it's pretty tough going. I would definitely um, recommend it to people who are maybe already interested in it and have read some other stuff beforehand. Um, do you think you could do this? From is a, this nowhere. Is, this is an interesting point, idea. Whether we could collectively do this as a forest school community, mm. and I think it would be really interesting to d decide these things. Whether you could have stuff that you go, 
these are the books that the Forest School community recommends for new leaders. Mm. These are the books that Forest School rec- leaders, the Forest School community, recommends that leaders read in the first two years. Mm. These are what you need to read in the next four years. To extend your practice. To extend your practice, but also to go, there's some progression here. Mm. You won't be ready for the concepts that are in. I, mm. I don't think that people mm. who have just done a level three, who are coming out of either coming out of teaching, which be honest has like a surface level interest in play at most um or someone who's come from you know maybe they used to be a scout leader or something Mm -hmm. to go to this book is too big Mm. it's too big of a jump Uh, it's too it was almost too big of a jump for me as someone who Mm. i can say as someone who spends a lot of time with you and you tell me these things well a lot of time with kids playing and a lot of time with kids playing in a child-led setting um yeah, I'm trying to think about what are the what's the entry level book. I oh, I tell you what, I tell you what, what we were what I, I I forgot this. I kind of wanted to do one episode of the podcast talking about both this book mm. and a new series of pieces of writing that are available for free on the internet about playwork written okay. by some people <laughs> whose wow. name. I haven't had enough coffee today. Oh my god! Did they write they it using called, letters? They are called Ludicology. Um, they are two blokes who live up north, and they're called Ludicology. And um, I can't remember their real names, but they've just written some papers. So maybe uh, if you know Ludicology, tell them we want to talk to them. Yes, exactly. Well, I can try and tell them we're looking for them. So we should <laughs> read that, and that that I think is going to be the thing that is the entry level bit of stuff you sure. want to read. Before you go down the Bob Hughes evolutionary playwork route, before you go down this route, um, I mean, read the Colorado paper that's on the internet, mm-hmm. um, which kind of started the whole thing off. Mm-hmm. Um, wrap your lovely nashi nom noms around mm. it and wallow in the loveliness. It's a big, it's a deep dive, isn't oh, it? But hopefully, lovely. this has been useful to some people. Yes. Perfect. Cool. I'm going to go sit in the sunshine. Me too. Bye. Bye. If you like this podcast and want to support more episodes, you can donate through Patreon. Visit patreon.com forward slash children of the forest to show your support for the Forest School podcast. And a massive thanks to our current patrons, Simon Kenny, Joe H, Brona Steed, Jude Tinson, and Chrissy McKeevoy. Thank you so much, guys. It really does mean a lot.